Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. For the doctrine within the lyrics, I didn't realize how difficult it is in the melody. Um, Isaiah 6, when I was visiting Bobby Summers, she had her fireplace on. I'm still burning up that's why my face is so red. Um, Isaiah 6, we uh, started two weeks ago looking at the attributes of God. We talked about, well, a couple weeks before that as well, we looked at his um, attributes of being infinite, and we looked at his power um, tonight, and next week we, we start looking at um, some, some other attributes of God. Um, if you had to sum up who God is with one of his attributes, which one would you pick? about that for a second. Most people today would probably pick his love. God often is talked about in light of his love. That's a big thing that that is always brought out about God. God is love. And love is definitely one of the most beautiful attributes of God. Um, We'll discuss it next week, all of his um, parts of his love. But it's not the definite attribute the Bible lays out who he is. That's his holiness. God is holy. It's the only attribute of God in the Bible that is repeated three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Not love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. Not sovereign, sovereign, sovereign. Not um, all-knowing, all-knowing, all-knowing. It's it's holy, 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 holy. The last two weeks we've looked at attributes of God that that men cannot share him with. with. So we cannot be all-knowing. We cannot be all-powerful. We cannot be eternal. Uh, Things that God has that we cannot have. This week and next week we look at attributes that he has that we are called to live out. Attributes that we are called to reflect God's character in. Things that he has that he calls us to live out. Yet in our sin, it's the opposite of the other attributes. Remember, uh, the the attributes we've looked at the past two weeks, uh, we cannot have, but in our sin we try to have. We try to last forever. We try to be all-knowing and all-powerful, but we can't. It's the opposite with these. We're called to live these out, and we often run from them, and we don't live them out. Um, And so Isaiah 6 sums up his holiness. Uh, We're going to look at four attributes tonight. All of them could be summed up that God is holy. So Isaiah 6, familiar story. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go to this people keep on that keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do, do not perceive. He commissions him to, to go and preach to people who are never going to listen to him. Um, it's, it's Isaiah's story. It's Isaiah's calling. Isaiah sees the Lord in his temple. He sees him in his glory sitting on his throne. And he sees all of his beauty. He sees this majestic scene of all the power of God exploding all over the place like lightning. This beautiful scene. And, and, and the angels are flying around worshiping God, covering their eyes and their feet because of how holy he is. His holiness is overwhelming to stare at. For the angels... And for Isaiah, Isaiah can do nothing but just fall down and say, I am, I am nothing. Woe is me. God help me. This is such a beautiful sight. Despite that, the holiness of God chooses to forgive Isaiah. And the holiness of God sends Isaiah out to preach. The holiness of God does not consume and destroy Isaiah as it should. God um, forgives him and sends him out, cleanses him and sends him out. God is holy. There is no sin within God, none whatsoever. Sin itself can be boiled down to going against God's nature and God's character. When we sin, that's what we do. We do the opposite of who, of who God is and who God wants us to be in whatever way that plays itself out. He is, God is Three things regarding his holiness. One, I said he's, he's, there's no sin in him. Second, he is distinct from all that is unclean. And everything that is unclean is the complete opposite of God. People have sometimes said God can't live among sin. I don't think that's correct because he's done it many times. Look no further than Jesus. Jesus came and lived among sin. But no, sin is consumed in the presence of a holy God. We cannot enter God's presence. He can certainly enter ours. But if we go into his presence, we die. Anything unclean cannot enter God's presence, for it's destroyed. He is, there's no sin within him. He's distinct from all that is unclean. And thirdly, he is fully committed to the cause of God. Now, that one sounds kind of egotistical to say um, that God is fully committed to himself, but I don't think it is. Because what higher being in existence would God be committed to? What higher cause would God be completely committed to than himself? And, and think about the Trinity. It's not egotistical because the Father is committed to the Son. The Son's committed to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's committed to the Son and the Father. It's not egotistical because it's, it's, it's three persons in a loving relationship. This is how we're able to be holy. We're not able to be completely unclean. We're not able to be free from sin. But we are able to be completely committed to God and, and His ways, His will. We're completely able to do that. that. That's what makes us able to be holy. And that's what we're called to do. Leviticus 20, 26, as you know, be holy, for I am holy. How in the world can He call us to such a thing? 
I can't be what this picture is in Isaiah 6. I can be fully committed to the Lord in, in every way possible in my life. I cannot be free from sin. It calls us to be holy. Yet, we run from that in our sin. We want to be everything that is not holy. We are completely attracted to the things that are not holy. Our sin always makes us want to run to the darkness instead of light. We do not want holiness. And that's what we're called to. It's the beautiful thing that happens when we get saved. When we receive Christ, when He transforms us, He, he, he does that in three, three steps. Step number one is when we're justified. It happens when we're saved. We're completely made holy before God. Our sins are forgiven. We no longer, uh, God no longer sees our sin. He now sees complete cleanliness because of Jesus. We're justified. Secondly, it happens over the course of our Christian life. We call this sanctification. Over time, God makes us more and more like Jesus. He strips away sin from our life and makes us desire holiness more and more, desire the things of God more and more. He makes us more and more holy. The third step is what happens when either we die or Jesus returns. We are completely made holy in the actual sense. When we're saved, we're, we're we're, we're at the stance of holy. We, we, we are holy before God, but we're still filled with sin. When that day comes, we will be completely made holy. We will be resurrected, and, and we will no longer desire sin. We'll no longer desire what is unclean. We will be completely, um, we'll be completely free from sin. What a glorious day that will be. God is holy. Three more attributes we'll look at related to God is. That, that kind of go in with his holiness. Second, God is good. God is good. Psalm 106. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is good. I just picked this one. I could have picked a hundred verses that say that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. How many of you have read or seen the movies of the Chronicles of Narnia? Caleb has any others? Chronicles of Narnia, a seven-part series of books written by C.S. Lewis. Um, it is a fictional story, but very much, very allegorical to, um, to the Bible, to the stories of the Bible. Um, particularly, the biggest thing is that the main, that there's, they, these kids go to a place called Narnia. It's like another dimension. And in that other dimension, there's a character named Aslan. Aslan is a lion. He is um, the, the, the king of Narnia. He is the ruler of Narnia, and he is, um, he is very... Uh, of course, he's a lion, so, you know, fierce. Um, but there's a point in, in the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that some of the kids hear about Aslan. They've never met him, but they hear about him from another character, and they say, Aslan, is he safe? And the, the character responds to the children, of course he isn't safe. He's a lion, but he's good. He's the king. He's not safe. But he's good. He can tear you apart. He's a lion. He can eat your face off. But he's good. He will not do it because he's good. And that's how God is. 
God could literally destroy you like that without even a thought. But He's good. He's good. He will not do that. We could bring in other attributes of God to talk about how good He is. He's infinitely good. He's, his goodness never runs out. It goes on forever and ever. For all of eternity, we will know and enjoy His goodness. He is, uh, his goodness is unchanging. He will never stop being good. And he is so good that he could never increase in how good he is. And he is unchanging good. He his goodness is the highest level it could possibly be, and it goes forever. We experience his goodness in so many ways. So many ways. Of course, the biggest being salvation, we would, we would be incapable of knowing the full scale of his goodness without him saving us. But then just think about so many other things, the blessings of life, you know, family, friendship, home, you name it. In so many ways that God shows us his goodness in other places. Think about the five senses. You know, if we're lucky and we go out tonight and there's this beautiful sunset over here, we will look and see that with our eyes. Because God is good and gave us eyes to do to see that. You know, I, I love, I think I've mentioned this here before, uh, I love going I've loved this since I was a kid, the, the restaurant Subway. You go into Subway, the second you walk into Subway, you hit by this fresh bread smell. It's incredible. I love it. I went to eat at Subway the other day. I had a mask on when I walked in, and I walked in, and I'm like, I can't smell it. So I pulled the mask on because I wanted to smell it. I love the ability to smell incredible things like that. And the goodness of God has given us the sense of smell to be able to smell it. You, you can go farther with tasting food. I love tasting good food. I love putting a good piece of food in my mouth and biting down and tasting it. And God gave us that. He's good. I love hearing music. When, when music is played and, and it comes into my ear and I hear it, that is um, beautiful. And God gave us in His goodness the sense of hearing. And then touch. How comforting it is for physical touch. I think we've learned that more than ever in COVID when we can't um, when we can't hug each other without dying, apparently. Um, when 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 Don Sheck died, um, Susan Joan Bryant's um, son-in-law, I went over to her house and and I walked in and she looked up at me and she's like, "I don't think I'm supposed to hug you." And I said, "I don't really care." And I just hugged her because in those moments you need that. You need that because God, a good God, made it so the physical touch is a very important aspect. How? You know, God could have made creation dull and bland. I mean, it could be like a black and white movie in this place. A silent movie in this place. It could be a place where nothing smells. If you can't smell anything, apparently you have COVID, so just letting you know that. Um, it, it, it could be a dull, bland place. It could be dark and gloomy all the time. It could be like that. The five senses could not exist. We could just operate like bacteria. We do our purposes with no joy. But he made it beautiful. He, he gave us the five senses to enjoy his creation because he is good. He's good. So then why do bad things happen? If God is good. God made everything good like that. Why do bad things happen? Though God created in seven days and said it is good, man chose to not want that. For some reason we 
dumb human beings decided, no, I think I'd rather have badness than good. I think I'd rather just sin and, and run from that. And when Adam and Eve did that, it cracked God's goodness in, in the creation. The goodness that he put there, it smeared mud on it. It did that. Now everything is cursed because of that. So just think about that. Everything is cursed because of sin. So when you cut up a piece of steak and take a bite of it and taste it, that's not even the best that it could be because it's cursed. It could be better than that. Sunsets could be more beautiful than that. Music could sound even better than that, but it's cursed. That's why bad things happen, because there's a curse on the world. But God is so good that despite all of that, he will still use those bad things to happen for good. Romans 8.28, for, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, all things work for good. Genesis 50.20, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He takes bad things that happen to his children and he turns them to good. He makes them good. So, with that, we are called to be good. Not the way we teach kids to be good so Santa will bring them gifts. Not, not that sort of thing. No, Matthew 5, 14-16. I didn't write it down for some reason. I usually write it down. Matthew 5, 14-16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're called to reflect God's goodness to the world. We're called to do that. We're not being good to try and earn something. We're reflecting goodness to the world, the way the moon reflects the sun in the world. But, Psalm 14, listen to this, the fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. None. I think we all fall in that category. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have all become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Wow. Functionally, we, all, we often live our lives like atheists. We live our lives like, like God doesn't exist. Despite that. While we were still sinners, at the right time, Christ died for us. He died for us. He took people who did not seek after God, who were not good. He redeemed them and he made it so that they could live good. They could reflect his glory to the world. God is holy. God is good. Two more tonight. God is truthful. God is truthful. All three members of the Trinity in the Bible are identified as truth. God the Father, if you can look through all, all throughout the Psalms, you can see that, that God the Father is good. God the Son, we saw that this morning, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then the Holy Spirit, we're going to see in a couple weeks in John, that he's called the Spirit of Truth. God is the essence of what truth is. He's that essence. God is the author of truth. Nothing is false in him. God cannot lie. It's against his very nature. But we run from the truth, don't we? Well, humanity does. Humanity runs from the truth in so many ways. I'll give you three. First of all, this idea of our day, uh, I'm going to live out my own truth. I'm going to live my own truth. What's true for me might not be true for you. I'm going to live what's true for me in my life. 
Everyone thinks the way they see the world is truth. And, and they're going to live that out. Um, that, that they say we should all pursue our own truth. Of course, logic tells us that's ridiculous. You know, if, if two guys jump out of an airplane, one with a parachute, one without, gravity is true for both of them. It doesn't matter what they think. Like, that, that they're both going to hit the ground. Just one of them is going to not crash as hard if, it, if the parachute works right. Can I just decide that your truth is not actually true? That's a good question. If, if it's the statement, it's getting a little confusing here, but um, if it's the statement that what's true for you isn't true for me, well, that's just not going to work logic. Because what I want to be true is then going to be false for you. Again, it's just getting confusing because this is all just confusing because it doesn't make sense. Because such a thing is ludicrous. You can live your own truth in this world. You can reject truth. Romans chapter 1 is really clear that, that when you worship um, the creature instead of the creator, you end up rejecting truth. You end up rejecting what the eyes can see, that a beautiful sunset out here over our cemetery was put there by a creator. It didn't just happen. And when you worship the creature instead of the creator, you start to think that's just a thing. And it leads to all kinds of immorality. And, and it leads to rejecting the truth in so many ways. We see this so often with gender today. There's been a division made by the world between sex and gender. Sex is what you're born biologically. Gender is what you identify as. But they're not two different things. When you reject truth, that's the thing you end up at. That's the conclusion you end up at. You deny the truth of your Creator, you will come to such conclusions. And third, probably the one we kind of fall into of these three, lying. Lying starts early for us, doesn't it? We start lying early on. When I was in first grade, I think it was, yeah, it was first grade. First grade, I was, you know, six at that point. Um, one day we, we had a class project, all of us were coloring. I have no idea why this happened, but um, for some reason, I got up to walk around the classroom, and I saw a crayon on the floor, and I thought, huh, this will be fun. So I put my shoe on top of that crayon, and I began to walk like this, all the way around the, the classroom. I make a big line, and I turn, and I kick it off right beside this girl's seat. About ten minutes later, one of my teachers says, who drew a giant line across the floor? Nobody fessed up. Because I did. Nobody else did it. And she's just like, oh my goodness, this line is there. Who did this? I know how we can find out. We can check their shoes. And I thought, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, because I hate getting in trouble. And so she had this really, um, really nice bathroom policy where if you had to go to the bathroom, Paul passes on the door. If it's there, you can grab it and go. So she turns around. I get up and run to get the hall pass and get out of there. I go to the bathroom and wet some toilet paper and scrub my shoe. I go back to class. Didn't get it all off, but she forgot about it. She forgot about it. So eventually chairs got moved back and forth and cleared the line off so she didn't have to worry. She didn't even remember it at that point, and I got away with it. But already at that point, at six years old, I was making a habit of lying, wasn't I? Concealing the truth. Our sin wants to not have to confess the truth. That's what we want to do in our sin. We must seek to grow in truth. We must seek to grow in truth. Psalm 25, 5. 
lead me in your truth and teach me. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them in truth, for your word is truth. One of the pieces of the, um, the armor of God is the belt of truth. It, it, it's around your waist. It holds your pants up. You want truth to be fastened around you all the time. God's word is truth. His word is truth. It's where we find what truth is. If you want to grow in truth, as you're called to do, you have to read his word, and you have to get his word inside of you. You have to do that. I'm working this year to, to memorize the entire book of Philippians, as I've told you. Why am I doing that? Because I want to get the word inside of me. When you memorize passages of scripture, you see things in them that you didn't see before you memorized them. I, I want to do that because Christ uses his word to transform us. I want that to transform me. God is holy. God is good. God is true. Last, God is wise. He's wise. What's the difference in knowledge and wisdom? Well, a lot of times people see them as the same thing. They're not the same thing. Knowledge is knowing information. Wisdom is knowing how to use that information well. There's a lot of people who know a lot of knowledge, but are fools. They don't know how to use that knowledge. God has perfect wisdom. It's often different from the wisdom of the world. 1 Corinthians 1.25, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God stronger than men. 1 Corinthians 1 is all about how nobody would have thought up the death of Christ. Jewish people wanted a sign from God. Greeks wanted wisdom. God sent Jesus and crucified him. Didn't make sense to either of them, but it's the wisdom of God. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's folly to the Gentiles. But, but it's perfect wisdom. We're called to pursue wisdom. But we also must recognize how foolish we can end up in the process if we're not careful. Solomon, as you'll recall, is known as the wisest man in the Bible. By many, I think he's a fool. When you look at his story, I think he's a fool. I pity him. If you don't know the story of Solomon, he... Uh, and at one time, God appeared to him and said, ask me for something, I'll give you anything you want, anything. And, God, and Solomon said, I want wisdom, make me wise. And right after that, we see something happen where these, these king and these two ladies come in, and um, they have a baby, and um, the, they're arguing over who's the mother, and Solomon comes up with this scenario, hey, just split the baby in half and give it to both of them. And one of the ladies says, sure, yeah, do that. And the other lady throws a fit. And he says, the one who threw the fits, the, the, the mother. That's the wisdom that he had. He wrote a lot of the wisdom in the Bible. He wrote Proverbs. He wrote Song of Songs. He wrote Ecclesiastes. But in the end, he did not conclude his story wise. He fell from wisdom. He married hundreds of women from different countries um, for military alliances. And guess what happened when he married women from, from pagan nations? He adopted their paganism. He started worshiping their gods. <coughs> He walked away from the one true God. And hear how his story ends. It's so devastating. It's so devastating. First Kings 11, how his story ends. Wait, I'm at Second Kings, not First Kings. That would probably be helpful. First Kings 11. This is how Solomon's story ends. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidian, and 
Hittite women from the nation concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn away from your heart, they will turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses, 300 concubines. God helped him. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the, the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth and the goddess of the Sidians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place to Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and from Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountains east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their God. That's how Solomon's story ends. The wisest man in the Bible. He ends up making a high place to Moloch. You know Moloch is that God that we talked about that held out his hands and he placed your baby on him to, to catch the baby on fire and offer him as a sacrifice? That's who Solomon ends up worshiping, the wisest man in the Bible. He became foolish. And you read the rest of 1 Kings, his kids are even crazier than he is. What happened to Solomon? What happened to him? Well, perhaps he stopped asking for wisdom. Perhaps he asked one time, he got enough to write some books of the Bible, and then he stopped asking. He took his eyes off wisdom. He stopped. We must ask for wisdom. We must ask for it. James 1.5 if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Perhaps at some point Solomon stopped asking. He thought, I've arrived. I've got all the wisdom I need. Do not stop asking. God will give it generously, but you've got to ask. Wisdom comes from the Bible lived out. So I ask you, are you living the Bible out? Are you really? Because a lot of times people think they're living faithfully in the Bible just because they're a decent human being. But can you name specific commands in the Bible you are actively living out in your life? Can you name specific ones you are failing to live out? The fact of the matter is, most people in church don't need another sermon. They don't need another Sunday school lesson. They don't need another Bible study. You certainly need those things regularly. I'm not saying don't coming to preaching of the word, but but people always seem to say that, well, I just need a few more sermons to get to that point where I'll finally be able to live out the Bible. No, you don't. Your biggest need is not to, it's a, it's not to hear one more sermon. It's to take what you've learned in those places and go obey them. Go do those things. Live them out. But usually people hear what is taught in sermons and Sunday school lessons and Bible studies, and they say, huh, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. And then they throw it away with a crumpled up church bulletin when they get home. They never think on it again. Do not throw it away. That's the opposite of wisdom. Take it and, and, and learn from it and live it out. God is holy. God is good. God is truthful. God is wise. This is the holy God we have. Be holy. Your God is holy. Those are his attributes that relate to his holiness. Next week we will look at his attributes 
related to his love. Coincidentally, next week is Valentine's Day, so we'll talk about God's love on Valentine's Day. Let's pray together, and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your holiness, for unapproachable but beautiful. We, 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 we long to stare at it, yet it's terrifying to think of staring at it. As Isaiah tried to and said, woe is me, but we praise you that your holiness has forgiven us, and your holiness has sent us out into the world. Would you help us to live holy, to reflect your goodness to the world, to seek truth, and to ask for wisdom. Help us to do that for you. For our sake, 